Hey kids, you're listening to the internet's wettest podcast about video games, consoles, and pancakes. The SML Podcast. What's up, everybody? I am Joe. This is the SML Podcast. I'm doing something a little different today. Normally, I jump into Showtime, and I'm like, come on, everyone, let's do a show. Today, I'm just doing the show, and then I'm going to jump into Showtime, and we'll be live, and we'll see what happens, so... It's just reset what with me moving and everything. What up, Joe? We are live. The show's recording. Aki, Chris, Brooke, how's everyone doing? Yo, what up? A lot better than last week. Thank you for asking. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good myself. Sweet. The fuck are we already Aki. recording for? What the hell? Because I feel That's like not it. normal. No, it's not normal. But I'm doing nothing, something different today. But nothing abnormal. What do you think of that? What do you fucking think of that? I don't what like do that. Think I legitimately, that bothers me legitimately. Well, you know what? I You're not like even it. on the episode tonight, so meh. <laughs> Where's Purnell? He is. That's a problem. He'll, he'll, he'll be Party. here in two minutes. <laughs> And Andy will be here in a few minutes, too. So whatever. They'll show up a few minutes into the show. I just right. figure instead Let's of trying to corral shits. everyone, we'll just start talking right off the bat. Hey, that sounds great. Hey, when I got here, everyone's like, we're talking. Yeah, because <laughs> normally when I join, you're like, oh, why didn't you record all that? I'm like, well, now I am. So yeah, always, always record it. I think that's for the record. Yeah. I, I never recommend recording. <laughs> I think what we should just stop recording Chris? every week. Let's just uh, yeah, this would be a live-only experience, <laughs> oh, like a like a tool show. <laughs> no record. Wow! You'd only record only. the last review on every episode. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the year, we'll do a best of a final review. <laughs> yeah, the Get problem a selfie with, with only the audience having a third of the them will last be porn. You <laughs> exactly. I was, I was about to say the problem with only having the last one is I do so many. <laughs> That that would be like a third or more of the review. Which is funny because generally the game order tends to go like most expensive to least expensive game. So it's going to be like, you know, all the dollar ninety nine, two dollar ninety nine little reviews. Yeah, I mean, I'm for it. The way God intended an episode of two ninety nine games. Hey, cool. That's awesome. And then you hit like the thirty dollar <laughs> porn game. Yeah. And the thirty dollar porn game. <laughs> and on that note, here's Andy. <laughs> what up? Andy Sperry, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? What's up, my friends? What up, what up? You're what here up, what before Purnell. Look at that shit. Actually I'm right on time. It's six six o'clock. Oh, nice. <gasps> I joined Purnell early. Still has a little bit before Purnell's late. Yeah, like 30 seconds. Yeah. That's a... That still counts. Clock is running. The heat is on. We are coming down to the wire. Will Purnell join before the clock or turns to 901? Well, not everyone pulls a Jacob before oh, the show. he's pulling a Jacob. Wow. Um, this it is... Very sick. Too. This it's is always how I spend after. my last minute at work. <laughs> 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 Watching the clock. 
Being like, is somebody going to call? You're late, Pernell. Well, there he is. Hey, Pernell's here. Pernell Vaughn, welcome to the show. How are you doing tonight? I'm okay. How are you doing? You're on speakerphone, but we're live. Oh. We are live and you're late. Live and late, dude. Uh, I'm not late. I'm here. I'm always on time. Now you're a minute late today. No, I'm on time because that's when I showed up. He's got to say. You argue like my kids do. Nope. I'm right. I'm, I'm not right. late. I just got I'm here. Right. <laughs> yep, there it is. How's everybody Fast doing? Oh, tired, but good. Um, oh, no. Eating leftover dry pot from Thursday, so if I run off to the bathroom, you know why. Um, because right, I shouldn't be cool. food that old. Um, also, what is it, a prune pie or something? No, no, dry uh, pot. Dry pot. So, like, um, like so lotus root. root. Yeah, I love that. Whoa, that was weirdly timed. Yes, I know. Lotus Why root. is that the first ingredient we both thought of? Because that's not the main ingredient of Hot Pop, but it's the best part. That crispy, It's like spicy the best food. ingredient. Yes, it oh is. God. I love Lotus I have and no idea what you two are talking about. Me neither. But I'm, yeah, I'm what is it? Is it, is it Szechuan food? I don't even know, Pernell. It's some kind of Chinese food. Oh, it's Szechuan. Oh, it's Szechuan. You nailed it. Ooh, um, so good. It's like very spicy, crispy. Ooh. What Brunel's talking about is like there's hot pot, but then there's also dry pot where it's like not a soup, but it's I don't really know how to describe it. I get it in a big to go. I figured the best way to put it, because I don't know how they do the dry pie. I assume it's a form of stir fry of sorts, but talking Szechuan peppercorns, a variety of chilies, <clears throat> spices, literal spices, because I couldn't tell you what spices are being used. The exception possibly being star. I know star is usually using this stuff. Um, but then it's all tossed together, thrown to you, you eat it, your mouth goes numb, but god damn, are you happy it did because it tastes yeah. that good. Damn. So Sounds good. pretty cool. <laughs> Vegetables. Highly recommend. Wholeheartedly. My friend was visiting. We went and found a damn hop dry spot, dry pot spot up in Philadelphia. <laughs> it was worth right it. Then. I had never heard of dry pie or lotus root before I came out here to California. I don't know uh, what's up with that or if they have stuff like that in, in Texas or not. And I just missed it. They may. And if they don't, somebody's got a fortune just sitting there waiting for them to make it. I know. Like There was like a video I saw, like one of those Guy Fieri things. You know, he's like a food critic, food critic slash visitor. I don't know how you describe it. Anyway, he was talking to a family in like Minnesota and they moved there from New York to bring their style of cooking there. They are the only game in town and people were losing their shit over it. So it's like, well, all the money's coming to us because nobody's taking a shot at this. They're doing like steak yeah. sandwiches or whatever out there. And then these guys show up with spices and herbs. Like, wait a minute. People use their shakers that they aren't They showed up with food. <laughs> they have like actual food that's prepped with actual spices. They don't use just salt and pepper. <laughs> they use <coughs> other shit, and people didn't know how to handle it, except for with their money, because they buy salt the food. Salt and pepper isn't a spice, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, do their, they do their thing. They just they ain't the real deal. It gets to a point where you're like, why do I even bother with this? I can do this. Like salt, for example, I only use it as a cooking ingredient. I don't put salt on my food anymore. I haven't done it for years. Might seem crazy. I, have, I haven't put salt in anything. In over a decade and a half. For I, I, I have a jar of that Red Robin seasoning on my desk nice. when I get bland hamburgers. What is that? Oh boy. Red Robin? Do you, like, it's a hamburger chain and they have. No, no, the spice. Yeah, what's uh, in it? The, I, 
don't fucking know. Just uh, it says on the bottle. <laughs> it's like salt, I know it's like a sugar, sugar, sea salt, spices, dehydrated <laughs> vegetables, <laughs> garlic, okay. onion. Can't read that one. My eyes are going. Almost... Jesus Christ! You were you're really pushing me tonight. You're <laughs> ancient. I can't do this. <laughs> My eyes are. <laughs> I need I'm to get some glasses. <laughs> Join the rest of us. Get some glasses. I need some readers. I, I would feel bad for you, Joe, but. I'm blind, so you ain't getting any fucking sympathy oh, from me. Fuck you. I'm I'm <laughs> just about forty three, and I've never had glasses, so I've had a nice. a good okay. life visually. So I can For handle now, that. I need were, readers. What age were your first glasses? <laughs> I couldn't even tell you. I just knew I was very blind at some was, point. Like it's a scary thought to be like I I have like nightmares every once in a while. Where I remember myself just like losing my vision or something. It was a uh, it was a very strange vibe. Like I was, no, I was a kid. I know one day I could see well, and then one day I couldn't. And it was oh, like, wow. why is my child unable to see? Get this That's fucker insane. some glasses. Yeah, it's a scary thing. Like it's one of those things where, like, if you're like like born like like blind, pretty much as an infant or something, and you're pretty much wearing specs from like from the very beginning. It's like, well, yeah. maybe you don't remember so much. But it's another thing where you kind of grow into the blindness. You know, suddenly you're like, oh shit. Oh, that's why this is awkward. But how about yourself? Do you remember? Too, by the way, yeah, like, was, you don't uh, wear glasses. You wear contacts, <laughs> huh? No, I wear I wear glasses most of the time. I'll like take them off for pictures, but I'm in glasses like probably ninety five percent of the time when I'm at work. I've got astigmatism. I'm like super. We need more pictures of you in glasses. You look adorable in glasses. Uh, when did you? Uh, when did you start I wearing them? You. I was uh, I was seven. I remember like I just couldn't see anything on the chalkboard. And that's when people started figuring it out. They're like, ah, oh, she can't see for shit. So like I I've been had <laughs> in my whole life. I remember you couldn't get uh, contacts without paying like 200 bucks back in the day if you had astigmatism. So I just never really, I never really got used to that. Uh, I'm still rocking the glasses. So I tried to do contacts yeah. once and it just didn't take, like something about them just didn't feel comfortable. So I just People went tell back. Me you get used to them, but it, it does seem, does seem like a steep learning curve. Pretty weird. Ashley needed to get LASIK just to be able to wear contacts. Whoa. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Like her, her vision was, was too bad that she couldn't get contacts until oh, wow. she got LASIK and now she's able to wear contacts. I want to get LASIK, but I'm also yeah. scared to death of it. How I've long seen was her oh. <laughs> like lasers in your my, eyes. Yeah, that's scary. My grandpa got LASIK back when it first came out and he lost color vision in his eye. <gasps> oh. Oh my he, god. He's also he was also the head technician of uh, Circuit City before it went under. Whoa. And he had it done back while he was still working. So that did and... not help him at his job at all. Uh my mom's also had LASIK, but she had it much more recently and she's fine. Everything's been good for her, so <laughs> early adopters beware. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Never, never be in the first group because y'all are pioneer. just the test subjects. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't. Well, yeah, really Andy. Kind of what about you? Of- Any glasses? Yeah, uh, Andy. Yeah, oh, Andy. <laughs> yeah, Andy. Sorry. I, uh, <laughs> I think I like got glasses like in middle school, maybe. Oh, nice. I just like did not enjoy being a kid with glasses, so I just like refused to wear them. I so. feel that. Uh, I actually found some glasses of mine the other day that were a prescription and I tried them on and my eyes just would not adjust. I like freaked out a little bit. So 
I just I just kind of coast through it. Sometimes people are blobs, and I'm like, yeah, that blob is that person, <laughs> and that blob is that person. I'm good. Well, the the likely the reason why the glasses don't work anymore is because as you grow up, if you're not wearing glasses, you learn to focus differently than someone who can see well, which means that the parts of your eyes that actually focus your eye changes where it is because of how you use your eyes. Whereas glasses have it looking straight forward, you've probably learned to squint your eyes and look down the corner. So now that the corner is where your focus point is instead, which makes glasses completely pointless. Oh, 100%. I know because that's where mine are. <laughs> <laughs> I I squint constantly, and it's funny when people catch me too, and they're like, "Hey, do you need glasses?" And I'm like, "No, no, I'm good. Get away from me." <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you definitely need them. They just aren't going to help you none. Yeah, I can see. I know who yeah, that see, blob is. I'm lucky no one knows when I'm squinting because my eyes are already so damn small, no one can tell. I'm the, the same. I have very squinty everybody. eyes. I, yeah, I would have typing class, and you weren't allowed to look down at your keyboard in typing class, but my eyes were so squinty, the teacher couldn't tell that I was peeking <laughs> when I typed. <laughs> All these years you know. later, it comes out. Uh, yes, the I, truth is... She's listening right now. I, I, knew I can it close, like... A my eye a quarter of the way and people think they're shut completely so <laughs> look on camera look on camera seriously look at me i was thinking on that camera. earlier too it's like he's you're like brock from pokemon <laughs> yeah yeah i could still yeah, see if, if there was a haze of smoke i would assume you're really high you <laughs> <laughs> would you would assume granted i could Aki. still assume that <laughs> maybe he is yeah <laughs> you have cheached and chonged your whole day away <laughs> me mm, yes no. you <laughs> Joe you have beautiful squinty eyes thank you what, what color are those black brown can't tell brown brown eye, yeah all over time my eyes are not solid black that would be amazing <laughs> I don't know I can't solid tell. black orbs I don't know. I like supernatural, but tell me a lot about you. I will eat your soul. (laughs) What is everyone's eye color? Because now I'm interested. Brown, black, solid black. (laughs) Pretty sure mine is just brown. (laughs) Red. Jealous. Uh, Hazel. Um, Hockey, what are are yours? Steel blue. Ooh, very cool. The funny thing is, she could say. Anything she fucking wants because I have yet to see a picture of her. She's been a part of this show for eight years. No clue what you look like. Seven or eight. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Goddamn clue <laughs> what you look that like. That means somebody can impersonate her. Have I not thing. sent a picture in? I no. could have swore I sent my, uh, like, no, you, you've told me your last name, photo? which I can't remember for the life of me because it's huge. And very hard yeah. to pronounce. Yeah. <laughs> but my first name is, is long and hard to pronounce, too. So Yeah, so we just went with Aki, and it worked. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Wait, that's not your name? That's the first three what? letters of my name. Can we take, like, a group photo or something? Like, sneaky. Yeah, go to VGMCon. Go to VGMCon. We know nothing about you. We know nothing about you. We don't even know your name. Are you even real? I've, I've said my full name on podcast before. I wasn't here. I don't know your name. I don't know you. <laughs> Who are you? Danger, danger. I? Rennell, Ranger. get behind me. I'll protect you. 
<laughs> Please do, because I am scared right now. Hockey's dangerous. <laughs> Very exceptionally, yes, this is true. <laughs> I'm so, I am the scared. Oh I can't imagine going to hold this dog not even knowing names. I guess like if I tell everybody to call I, me, I mean, call you me don't, don't have to imagine it. You don't know mine, apparently. No, that's I, what I'm saying. I specifically imagine. remember asking you when you first started working with the show what you wanted to be credited as because I didn't want to put Dark Mika's on fire for your reviews. Because and I, I like just using, said, that's so much easier. <laughs> yeah, I like using like our names on the show. That's why I credit everyone by name so that, you know, this will haunt you forever. <laughs> but I asked your name and you told me and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> I can't be expected it, to remember how to spell that on a weekly basis. <laughs> for, for, the typing. Pe- Drum roll, for the please. people in the showtime, here's how my this is my name. There you go. <laughs> you could just say it verbally. Nope, you gotta read it. No, because it's more fun to, to hear you guys butcher it, to be honest. It's a, it's a <laughs> if any of you can pronounce my all. first name on its own, I will be absolutely, you will be my favorite if you can pronounce that whole first name properly. Should we, should we Akihiko. No, no. Akihiko. Aki- no. Akikyototo. Akikyototo. Close. Akikyo there we go. Nice. Okay. I was trying to read that K Y O instead of K I O. Okay. That's yeah, your name is Akiki, so your name is Akikio Toto. Akikio Toto. Okay, I can dig that. That's a cool, I, unique name. I can't get the last name though. That one's ridiculous. <laughs> I, I'm amazed you got the first name because that is a very, in English, that is, for English speaking people, that is very difficult. <laughs> Is it to pronounce also, just because of how many vowels there are in it. Also, it's, it's just now. Now I can go Akikiototo. Taito. There you go. That's, that's how I'm more remembering your name. Akikiototo <laughs> Taito. Just yeah, like you're this, I'm going to credit you by your full name in this episode's right up. Bushi Takagi. <laughs> Bushi Takagi. Akikiototo. Bushi Takagi. I'm learning. <laughs> Close enough. We'll just, yeah. it's close enough. You, you were just, close enough. <laughs> yeah, Aki, what's going on? <laughs> there we go. Yeah, Aki's so much easier. That's why I go by Aki. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you probably laughed at me when I... Of you? I'm, I'm sure you Wait, laughed I, at me when I was like, oh, I, I don't want to butcher her name all the time. And now you fucking see it. <laughs> what is your name's yeah. origins, though? It's Japanese. Okay. Well, I mean, that's what I thought, but uh, I didn't want to assume. That's there, why Chris there's, can pronounce it. There's so many fucking vowels in it that it's very difficult for a lot of people to pronounce. That's the whose Bushy main language is English. <laughs> Close enough. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that works. So yeah, so you know, hence I just tend to go by Aki because it's three letters, two syllables. It makes life easier. That's awesome. <laughs> and. And I still get people who uh, get that wrong. So, you know, <laughs> so many people who go, ack. What's the, what's the worst one you've heard? What's the worst pronunciation? For just the three letters? Any, any, or for the full thing? I, usually people under, have a tendency to try and get to the correct when they see the full thing, the name, but none of them get 
get it. Like about the worst that you guys did was about the worst that you usually get for it. Um, I mean, I Aki, thought Andy got uh, it. I've had Aki uh, a lot. Uh, uh, as though someone's trying to pop up it, fucking. Is, is your swim. name Aki Toto Bush Tackle? <laughs> 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 that would Bush be so tackle. much better. Oh, that would be great. I would love that. Bush tackle. Yes. Can you put his name on the podcast episode as Bush tackle? <laughs> yes, Bush tackle. <laughs> That'd be great. Bush tackle. There, I'm oh, so Bush tackle. So, what else do it people wins. want to talk about before we get into review? <laughs> I don't know. New Pokemon game that got announced but with no footage or anything but so i don't know pokemon so there's nothing did. to talk about with that one yeah don't, don't, you, would, you would you would think until you go to the community the people have been speculating all kinds of shit i don't know how they're doing it like they literally but people showed... speculating doesn't mean anything people speculate yeah. things all the time people no, speculate I mean, that the I mean, world no, is I run mean, by lizard people in this case it's almost enough like people are already like i'm not buying this game because of x i'm like they told you nothing how can you already make a statement about a game and why you're not going to buy it and you don't even know what the game is it's, it's Here, strange. i have speculations that are 100 percent correct there's going to be two games that are going to be sold they're going to be basically the same fucking game the only difference is there's going to be a handful of pokemon that are different between them and that's it because Actually, that has been the same thing that has been all of the games. All yeah. those are incorrect. That's the funniest I part, though. Don't believe just that at all. You, it's the truth, though. What you just said is incorrect about this game. What, they're only selling one of them, then? Or are they it's selling more game. than two? It's just only one, one game. It's one game. Only <laughs> one? Is it a Pokemon only Snap one. game? No, it's not. <laughs> this is a standard-style Pokemon game. Yes, <laughs> and there's only one of them. That is correct. They're lying. That is, that is surprising. That is it absorbed. absorbed it absorbed its own twin in the womb. <laughs> Comes out a mutant switch baby of like a double sized cartridge. I'm Play actually me. Play me. I thought they'd Play come out swinging, especially me. after like Power World. You know, it was like, dude, Power World comes out, and everybody was hyped for that, and now it's like, meh. We're still the Pokemon. Is, about- everyone, everyone called Pal World a Pokemon clone, and it's not. It's a survival it's game. It's Thank a fucking you. survival Thank game. It is not like Pokemon. Yes, you can collect Agreed. monsters, but the base gameplay is not a cute, casual JRPG. It's mm-hmm. a survival Agreed. crafting game. Massive no, difference. Yes. Not Pokemon. I just oh. mean like how much, how much like po- the Pokemon company you know was like going after him for it too. You, you think they, they, go they were going after like, modders yeah. who put Pokemon in Pal World? That's who so Nintendo awesome went too. after. <laughs> yeah, that's who and Nintendo. The that was, and the thing that the and the thing that the fans were saying they should go after them for whether or not it's true or not is that they were saying there was a lot of like assets from like Pokemon designs used in the PALs or whatever they're called. But that's a whole issue right there where it's like, eh, it's not set in stone. It's just what people are seeing what they look when they look at it. Whether mm-hmm. or not it's true or not is up for debate. But yeah, the games are nothing alike. People were just like, well, there's cute animals in this game and they've got guns. See, Pokemon, you suck. Like, it's like they just wanted an excuse to yell about it. Like, no, they're different games and they don't draw the same audience for the most part. So, like, aren't there actual real, like, Pokemon clones out there that they could focus on instead of Power World? (laughs) 
Like there are some games that legitimately oh, yeah. are pretty much Pokemon, except they decided. I to know one. I know we reviewed one that track. was very similar. Nexamon. Uh, yeah, Nexamon. That's Nexamon. the one. It's literally Pokemon with traps instead of balls. <laughs> yeah, online. Yeah, and it's still a fun game, but it's like if they were going to go after somebody, it'd be something like that. Ember saying Cassette like, Beast is a, another similar one. Temtem. Temtem, I think, might be the one I was talking about. I believe we yeah, it's like generally they too. always do something that's like slightly different, and it's enough that if you play Pokemon but want something different, it's like I'll play this one too. Like Tim but, Tim, though it died over time, the online part of it, its main draw was that they went hard on doubles battles, and there's a lot of synergy that's involved with the different monsters battling together. Um, yeah. Nexamon was like, I don't even know what I honestly don't know what set Nexamon apart, if anything. It literally was just this is the game. Um, but and Cassette Beast is really cool. It has like this cool also synergy mechanic where like the, all the monsters confuse. Like every single one of them confused into something special. If you get bonds up and there's like questing and all kinds of cool shit. I love Cassette Beast, by the way. Um yeah. I haven't played that one yet. It it's it was on my, on my wish top. list, but That'll be a story for Thursday. My Xbox wish list disappeared. <laughs> That's not kosher. Anyway, we got reviews to talk about. What? We got games uh, that we got to discuss. We've got reviews to talk Wait, about. We've got reviews to talk about. Y'all ready for this? <laughs> there we go. There we go. All right, let's, let's get go. to these. The first game to talk about tonight is Shuren the Wanderer, the Mystery Dungeon of Serpent Coil Island, developed and published by Spike Chunsoft, released February 27th. My mouse cursor was in the way on the Switch for $59.99. Shuren the Wanderer and Kappa, his talking ferret partner, received a vision of a distant land and a girl in distress. It led them to the mysterious Serpent Coil Island, but they're not alone. Chris, Purnell, both of you check this one out. Chris, how about you start? What's going on in Shirin the Wanderer, the mystery dungeon of Serpent Coil Island? Oh, yeah. Well, Shirin the Wanderer, uh, Serpent Coil, and, and et cetera. Um, this is the latest in a long-running series of, uh, of the Shirin the Wanderer games, which is, of course, the um, kind of like uh, a very specific like style of roguelike uh, developed by Spike Chunsoft uh, goes all the way back to the Super Nintendo era, um, and I actually I actually have that one. Uh, it was kind of a you know I guess it was like kind of like a sequel to basically they made a Dragon Quest roguelike back in the day, and then they were like we need our own character um, to make a sequel. So, uh, funny enough, the very first Shirin, the Wanderer, is actually Shirin 2. <laughs> so, or rather, uh, Mystery Dungeon 2, Shirin the Wanderer, or something like that, you know, it's like... And, um, and this company has touched on, like, you know, everything from Final Fantasy, they, uh, you know, they did the Chocobo Mystery Dungeon, to Pokemon, they did the Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, um, like I said, and the Dragon Quest thing they've dipped into, uh, twice now. Well, it actually, maybe a little bit more, but anyways, so that's that's your brief thirty-year history of this uh, of this series. So this is their newest offering. Uh, it is now in full three D and not sprite-based two uh, D, like uh, even their last adventure that came out on the uh, on the Switch, which was the Tower of Fortune and the Dice of Fate. Uh, which is a title I totally remembered and didn't just look on my Switch menu for right now. They love long <laughs> titles, don't they? 
Yeah, it's it's pretty great. Um, <laughs> be like, um, ah, I'll I'll get into that later. But uh, <laughs> well, I was just gonna say like uh, the second Tornico game, um, Dragon Quest Mystery Dungeon. What Tornico? Uh, what was the Tornico's Great Adventure? Yeah, which he wasn't called Tornico in Dragon Quest. Uh, knows Tornico the Last Hope. Uh, so yeah, they didn't even call him that in English, uh, initially. He was just known as Taloon over here, so it's like they didn't even bother to change the name when they released it on PlayStation in the United States. Um, so, needles to say, it's a somewhat obscure series. Um, I think the, the way I discovered it was through the DS, which was, uh, you know, basically a remake of the, uh, very first game, and I played that thing for hours. Didn't get to, uh too far in it though i um i mean i guess i did i got like a bunch of like um uh partners and stuff who would join me in certain runs and stuff and uh so basically the general gameplay loop of this is that you are sheeran you start off in a hub town the hub town has a a warehouse and um you go into the dungeon the dungeon has several levels uh anytime you you basically get through the levels and, and get to the next location and you may get like a a reprieve like halfway through like another town or a, or a camp or something like that. Uh, basically a place to like, you know, rest for a second before getting back into the dungeon. Um, now the game is entirely turn-based. Uh, every move that you make, every step, yeah, never mind. Uh, <laughs> every move that you make, uh, the enemies, the, the enemies <laughs> and the police are watching you and uh, they are also going to make a move. So while you can at any point just not move and uh, and you know completely uh, write out your strategy, which you will need to do constantly, uh, you know there's no point at which uh, things are just moving without your uh, without your say so. Um, so yeah, the the thing is entirely turn based. Uh, you have an inventory that you kind of pile up by grabbing stuff off the ground, everything from weapons, which you don't start with, to shields, uh, to onigiri. To uh, to herbs and spices and uh, and pots and uh, you can put your herb in in some pots and stuff and um, all that's very important because again every tool that you find on the ground is is essential to your survival in that run or you drop them off uh, whether it be with an item or a certain NPC that you may randomly find walking around the dungeon. And uh, you can have that stuff put in the warehouse so that the next time you die or when you die, the next time you wake up, you can get to that warehouse and uh, and have a little bit of a better loadout this time. Um, because, yeah, like a like a true roguelike, you start from complete scratch every single time, except that the story kind of moves on uh, as you progress. So as you get further, more and more things kind of unlock in the dungeon and you may find them uh, new NPCs, uh, you know, certain new things can happen. So it's there's a, an element of progress, but ultimately, yeah, you're always starting at level one with like, you know, your same HP, no items unless you pick them up from the warehouse and you're just trying to get to the top of the mountain and and, um, and defeat the uh, the bad guy that uh, that, you know, is up that is surely up there. So that's the that's the general gist of it. I feel like I've talked for a while now. Right, Pernell, what are your what are your thoughts on the game? Any uh, insight on your end? Well, my feelings with this game are <clears throat> pretty interesting in the sense that they changed a few things from what I remember from the Dice of Fate. Some which might be good, some which might be bad. Overall, I think it's mostly just described as different, though. For example, 
Um, I feel like in this one, I had a lot more difficulty getting my bearings and getting started on general runs, largely because they're not as generous with a few things. One um, is the idea of weapon, like weaponry. It is very logically um, reasonable to believe that you can go a run and go like multiple sections at the beginning of the game without getting a sword and or a shield. And if that happens, well, you can kiss your grits goodbye because that's just the nature of the beast, which admittedly I respect because we've got a lot of roguelikes over the years, but I've always felt like Sheer and the Wanderer has always done the best at remaining true to what a roguelike or closest to actual rogue you could get is because you can have some real crappy runs in this game. They've also made it a lot harder to um to exit the dungeon and preserve your stuff. Like one of the old strats in the game where you used to be able to like get undo grad undo basically grad maybe undo grad, but basically you can escape the dungeon um with it and take old equipment back to an earlier part of the game and then spend money at a blacksmith to upgrade it to kind of just cheat through it. Not in this one. Um you are gonna be busting your ass all the way through and you'll feel like it's more earned. Um, one thing that should be mentioned in this game, too, that they go a long way with, it's been true for the whole series, but if you're not familiar with sharing, you'll want to know. And um, one of the main components to these games that makes them particularly roguelike is the fact that you don't always know what you're picking up. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing. This is a feature, baby. I'm okay with this. It just takes a while to get used to. Um, and the older sharing games, they didn't introduce this until at least the fifth one. They introduced this until a little further into the game, but from here, it's the very beginning. And what that is is, Items generally can be picked up with a designation of question mark or a rather nondescript labeling for it, like, you know, I don't know, like salamander pot or, I don't know, red pot, just some random name. Herb and what that pot. means is herb pot, yeah. And you don't know what it does. It's just, here's a name for this thing. And if you decide to use it, it could actually be a bad thing. Like, I remember picking up a pot, but I really needed to put items in it. So I thought, oh, it's an unidentified, but chances are maybe I can put items in it and store my inventory. I tried to use the pot. It was a monster pot. I tapped it, and the monsters came out of the pot and beat the stuffing out of me. Um, there are ways around this, of course, but they also require you to find needed items to identify things. Um, all major defining traits for this bad boy. Um, another thing worth mentioning, um, and I'll probably stop where I'm rambling about the game in the general sense, is that they decided to make a change to the game in regards like the last one, if you played it, on the Vita or the Switch, is um, they went ahead and uh, got rid of the night and day cycle. And in exchange for that, they came up with something about, like, behemoths, where it's just, like, really giant monsters that'll come out sometimes, and they are jerks to kill. <laughs> um, so, rather than worry about the nightfall coming, which was his own, you know, terrifying plight, instead, now you have to worry about just, like, coming across giant monsters on your run. So, be mindful of that. Um, the games yeah. themselves, this game is still a lot of fun, though. Like, I I like Sheer and the Wanderer, every one of which I've played, despite the fact that I know it is very possible that I won't see the end of any of it. I beat the third, <laughs> the fifth game. It was purely the fact that I even beat that game, I feel lucky. Like, I got to the top with a good loadout, and I was pretty much down to the, like, to the bottom of the barrel and won by sheer chance. And then that unlocked our meaty post game, which this one has as well. There is a good post game. Um, My Sharon so cycle usually comes down to I see a new Sharon the Wanderer game. I get super excited. I buy it. I play it. Die repeatedly. Wonder why I bought it in the first place. Then I see a new one. I get excited for it. I buy it. Sometimes, sometimes I, the dying is a feature. Every time I'm just like, I, ah, again, I knew what I was getting into. You and are I'm, your I'm just a glutton for punishment. I, I love it. It's 
they're they're always quality games. They're just hard as shit. Yeah, um, but that just makes the wins that much sweeter. You're like, well, I accomplished some cool shit on this run. So segueing from that, uh, there is a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a kind of sense of community, I suppose, uh, that you could say uh, anonymous, though it may be. There, this game features, like the last game, a rescue system. So if you got like a particularly good loadout, let's say you spent a long time crafting like this, you know, nice sword that you managed to get back into the where, like that you managed to get back into the warehouse a couple of times, and like you know, it's like your favorite item uh, and you have like all this other good stuff and then you eat it in the dungeon um, you can actually uh, either like just keep your character there and then rescue him with the next character or you can uh, have somebody rescue you online uh, in exchange for um, for adventurer points essentially which the adventurer points can be used to your benefit um, when it comes to rescuing or being rescued um and the other thing is that it, so if you want to like actually, you know, because these things can uh, can Im- help improve your loadout too. Um, for instance, like you can spend a whole bunch of adventure points to get a like ten level boost at the beginning, which will super up your chances of like getting much further than you could before. Um, so you're kind of like maybe paying for you know saving up for a new game plus kind of thing. Uh, well, I guess not New Game Plus since you didn't beat it. Quite the opposite, actually. But anyways, <laughs> I'll work on that later. Uh, but yeah, the rescue system's actually pretty cool, and I actually did utilize it for this playthrough. Um, I tried to rescue somebody just on the second level of the game, and the cool thing is about this. Well, I don't. I don't guess it's cool, but it's. I mean, it's just like the other thing is that you know you start off with nothing, but the dungeon is fixed to that person's map so the person who died in that dungeon it saves that map and you have to go through that exact same map to get to them so if there was anything you know on the ground or whatever um that you feel like maybe you can fare better uh then you can certainly go for it but of course to rescue the person you usually have to fight a party of monsters uh so it's pretty extra challenging but the cool thing is even if you lose and die repeatedly on this simple mission to, you know, go rescue some stranger, uh, you'll still get the adventurer points. You just won't get the full amount of adventurer points. So there is an element where you can save up and get yourself a good loadout. And um, and that's a way to kind of help yourself as well. So I feel like that's pretty clever on the game's part. Um, it was present in the last game. I really didn't check it out too much in the last game. It didn't seem to be as much of a thing here, but... In this game, uh, they they go out of their way to be like, hey, uh, your character was kind of good. Are you sure you don't want to rescue him? And, of course, you can also <laughs> just attempt to rescue yourself, too. Um, that's that's certainly a thing you can do. But, yeah, the um, you know, when I was looking around at the uh, at the different uh, rescue lists and such, I you know, they all have a timer on them as well. So, like, if this person hasn't been rescued in, you know, seven days or whatever, I guess it just goes away. But, you know, you... You can keep making attempts to rescue this person until you actually get them. So that's actually kind of cool, I think. Yeah, it's an awesome feature. I like that uh, that they have that online connectivity to it. Yeah, and um, and as far as I could tell, you just you don't know anything about this person. It's you know you're not. It's just like this person's lost on this level, and uh, you know go if you want to go get them, it's worth this many points. Uh, you know, there's a bounty to it. Plus, uh, the thing about that though is that you cannot go to a place that you haven't been yet in the single player game. So if you're 
Um, if you've only been to the Serpent Isles, for instance, which is the first set of stages in the game, you can only pick a rescue attempt that's also in the Serpent Isles. That makes sense. That way you're not fighting up the yeah, things exactly. you can't handle. <laughs> but uh, the game is 60 bucks. What do the two you think about it? Well, I mean, I, I, uh, well, I, mean, I got it for free. And, uh, and though I've been trying to tell myself I'm done collecting games, I wanted the sharing game, so I bought it anyway. So that answers your question. <laughs> I uh, I did buy the last year in game because I reviewed it on a different system than the Switch, but um, but I mean all of this to say I would consider this a buy it for fans of Shiren, fans of the Mystery Dungeon series, um, you know, and fans of just hard games and like roguelikes the way they they ought to be, you know, like yeah. To me, this is like the this is roguelike par excellence uh, as far it's as yours. Um, yeah, I mean, but. There's nothing wrong with things being impure. It's just like oh, for sure. It it does have a real deal feel about it as far as that goes. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm gonna recommend it. Um, I really really like the look and the sounds of the new um, everything. You know, the like new fancy 3D graphics are looking real good. Um, feels great to play. Like I said, everything's. I feel like even though it's less, I don't know, fair. Uh, it's less generous. Um, although I, you know, I wouldn't, I would say it's about as fair as it's older chapters. Um, you know, it, at least felt to me like really clear, like everything felt really spelled out and, um, you know, and the game, uh, at least sympathizes with, with your plight in, <laughs> in little ways. So yeah, I like this one a lot. Cool. All right. Next game, Penny's Big Breakaway, developed by Evening Star, published by Private Division, released February 21st on Xbox Series X and S, Switch, PS5, and PC for $29.99. Ready, set, yo, Penny and Yo-Yo, in a kinetic 3D platformer bursting with innovative gameplay. Showcase your catalog of tricks and chain impressive combos to deliver Penny and Yo-Yo's perfect breakout performance. Take the stage with this vibrant pair in Penny's Big Breakaway, or I'm going to steal Brooke's joke with Pernie's Big Breakaway. Pernell, tell us about it. That sounds like a title to the show. (laughs) We we already have a bush tackle. Oh. Oh, come on. (laughs) You're going to take that over over Pernie's Big Breakaway? Come on. Okay, then. I'll change it. You're all good names. But comparatively, there can only be one. And in the case of this game. game... well, let's see here. So basically, the premise of this game is you play as Penny, a person, like classic 3D platformers of the old. There's very little setup here. It's just you are Penny. You have a yo-yo. You want to play with this yo-yo, and you want to be on the equivalent. This world's equivalent of like, I don't know, what is it, like Dancing with the Stars, but whatever the talent version of that was. Um, America's Got Talent. In this case, Vanilla Town's Got Talent. So... You take your yo-yo and you go to the hopes of performing for being on the show and be on the show. Um, on the way, you come across a cosmic yo-yo, because of course you do. And it makes it like your yo-yo is rather gets a life of its own. And it provides it with a lot more tricks than what you could do before. You go to the show, you perform, your yo-yo becomes sentient, it eats the emperor's clothes. And then you are put on the land because now the emperor wants to throw you in jail for 10,000 10, years. So... You are on the run, hence the breakaway, though I also assume that's also because she still wants to become a star. Anyway, um, the gameplay of this is particularly interesting because from what I've come to learn, this was done by the guy who was responsible for uh, Sonic Mania, and he's got developed quite a bit of notoriety in the community, Christian Whitehead. Uh, so 
what I came to expect from this game off the top was that there was a bit of frenetic, you know, momentum that you could get, you know, come bringing the play in this title. So, and more or less, I think it can, but it's going to come with a caveat. Um, level progression involves you just going from the beginning of the level to the end of the level. Um, and as you're doing so, you're attempting to, you know, platform across the landscape of choice or whatever. Um, your platforming mechanics are essentially jumping, throwing your yo-yo, and through use of that yo-yo, you can do a ridiculous number of things for a platformer in this sense. You can throw it, you can hold it out in the air, and then it kind of becomes like a sort of like a swing mechanic. So you can like kind of stay in the air for a little while and then launch yourself. Um, you can ride the yo-yo. And it has a sort of spin dash left level mechanic where you can hold it down and get a bit of a jolt and you know get a little extra oomph when you ride off with it. You can spin it around as a weapon, and there's a few other things you can get for in the form of power-ups as well. But you'll be doing all these sorts of things to get from the end of the level. Sometimes you'll also come across inhabitants of these worlds where you want they will ask you for a ridiculous little weird favor, like, I don't know, deliver this wrench to a coworker or Take this letter to my mom or collect these flowers in 20 seconds or else I'm going to get divorced. Uh, just stuff like that. And if you collect, if you do enough of those during the level, you'll be able to use it at the end of the stage as a part of a bonus called busking bonus where you can perform tricks and get bonus points before the level's up and add to your final level score. Now, the interesting thing about this game that makes it you know, different from a lot of 3D platforms, aside from the yo-yo mechanic, which I'll talk a little bit more about in a few, is the fact that there aren't really any enemies in this game. In fact, the only real enemies in the game are the penguins that the Emperor sends after you to throw you in jail. And they don't outright kill you. Instead, what happens is every once in a while you'll come across a segment of the stage where a bunch of ridiculous, dopey-looking penguins will show up, and they'll just give chase to you. If they catch you, they will glomp onto you, and they will slow you down. It's like four to six of them grab onto you at once, you are quote-unquote captured, and that counts as you losing health. And in addition, you'll lose health by like jumping in the bottomless pits and the like, too. Run out of lives, you'll lose 10,000 points, and be asked if you want to restart from the checkpoint or the beginning of the stage. The reason why the points are such a you know deep you know punishment instead of you just having to start the level over is because you are going for highest scores at the end of every level, too. So even if you just want to play through the game, you can just keep going forward, but I can't imagine being someone that's like, ah, I see there's a score that I'm meant to get, but I don't care. People are like that. I wish I were like that because that would make my enjoyment of this game go up so much more. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, unfortunately, no, not for me. So, but yeah, you don't have to do it, but if you do fail, you get a penalty of a score and you get to keep going. Uh, the interesting part about the platforming in the yo-yo system, though, is the fact that it has sort of two mechanics or two control schemas, and I'm trying to get used to the latter that I'm going to talk about shortly. Um, the first one is just all button play. Like, you can press the X button to throw your yo-yo. Um, you can use the trigger buttons to bring up your yo-yo to drop it down and whatnot. But you can also use the right thumbstick to do all, uh, uh, maybe all of them, I haven't figured it out yet, but at least a vast majority of the yo-yo tricks can be done with the right thumbstick, including the yo-yo rotation spin. So it's kind of nice to be like, okay, I'm running around, I'm doing trips, I'm throwing the, the yo-yo behind my back. I'm basically doing my air swing and my dashes by just tapping the thumbstick in. But uh, it's also hard to do that way too, because there's a lot of times where like, I was trying to keep my momentum going, I just couldn't pull it off. And for the record, the other thing about the momentum is like, if somebody's listening to this and they're like, yo, Pernod, here's the secret, here's where you're getting it wrong, please tell me. But I feel like the game wants you to be able to go faster than you actually can sometimes. Like, 
I'll be thinking I'm going as fast as I can. I'll do the roll mechanic. I'll even zip it up with like a freaking like spin dash. And I'm like barely getting the momentum I need to get some progress. And sure enough, penguins are like up my behind for no damn reason. Drive me freaking crazy. <laughs> uh, I just feel like I should be going faster than I actually am sometimes. I mean, yeah, there is a power up in one of the, some of the levels where you get like basically like a chili pepper and you become like a rocket yo-yo. But I'm talking normal platforming segments where you can get the yo-yo rev up. But um, with that said... I will say the game is a lot of fun to play in its general scope. Um, you do get to collect collectibles that you can use to spend to unlock, you know, perks that can either help you out on levels or get you um, opportunities to get higher scores on levels. And you can also unlock bonus stages by using some of the collectibles as well. But at least in my experience, there is one major issue from this game that became an issue over and over again. And I hope this changes over time. And what that issue is, is the fact that for whatever reason, this game was not very kind to me as far as, like, um, I don't know, like, performance goes sometimes. Like, there were times where I would just fall through the floor and get stuck in the in the walls. Uh, like, there was one part early in the game, and this happened multiple times. It wasn't, like, a one-time thing, where you have to use your yo-yo to spin up a corkscrew. And once you get to the top, a bunch of penguins will come after you. Well, I chicken-butted out of there because, like, I don't get caught by the penguins. And rather than go forward, I ran back and jumped down. My guy got caught on the wall for some reason. Started doing this weird spinning thing and just got stuck in the wall. And I had to start the level over. And it happened in a few other places in the game as well as I played it. I don't know what triggered it per se. Maybe it was just jumping into a thing that the game didn't want you to get stuck to. Maybe it was like a sort of repelling mechanism so you wouldn't be able to walk on platforms you otherwise couldn't. But hopefully they can practice that. Rather than have that, they can just say, it's just intangible. And you'll just fall through it. Though that might come with its own problems, too, depending on where. Because I have also had a moment or two where I fell through scenery, and that cost me, you know. The game projects. just doesn't want you to be a chicken shit, that's all. No, <laughs> even when I'm not being a, when I'm a chicken shit, I fail. When I'm a daring do, I fail. When I'm middle of the road, you know, Taco Bell, Bell Grande, I'm also failing. It's a, mm, it's a, it's a dilemma. It's a dilemma. <laughs> and the thing about it is like, I don't want to say anything like denied or nothing like that because everything I'm describing are performances that can be patched out if they work on it a bit. And I'm sure other people have made comments like this too. Um, but because I can tell you right now that if I weren't having any performance issues, I would find myself feeling like this game is a lot of fun. Um, I would probably wish that it had you know typical late stage you know 3D platforming elements such as unlocking new moves. Instead of only getting like temporary power ups, I'll have Mario 64, but you know, I'll live. You know, I do like the yo yo mechanic. I like the fact that this world is extremely colorful and very vibrant. I like the characters in the game. Um, again, it just feels like a, like a wacky cartoon and it doesn't take itself seriously at all. I mean, literally, your, your opponents are just like ridiculous looking Three Stooges penguin looking things. It's great. So for me, this game is a solid pit. The problem is just that it needs to get some, you know, QA on the performance and get some of these mechanics stretched out or ironed out because that will make a lot of people frustrated when they're trying to get a hang of it, especially because, again, the controls do take some getting used to. And they're not, they're not just a straightforward bid. So that on top of performance can give you a lot of grief. So, Well, it's 30 bucks. What is your verdict on Perny's Big Breakaway? I would give it a try it, though... If they get some performance patches in there, I think I can get this closer to a buy it, but nice. at least a try it. Sounds good. 
All right, next up is Ultros, developed by Hadoke, published by Kepler Interactive, released February 13th on PS4, PS5, and PC for $24.99. Ultros is a psychedelic Metroidvania where you wake up on the stranded on the sarcophagus, a cosmic uterus holding an ancient demonic being. Trapped in the loop of a black hole, you will have to explore the sarcophagus, meet its inhabitants to understand the part you play. Andy, what is going on in Ultros? So, Joe, just like you just said, Ultras, put simply, is a cosmic psychedelic trip through a space uterus. Just, like, take that in for a second. Uh, It is a eye-popping palette that will amaze and misinform you of what can be interacted with in this 2D Metroidvania. Kaleidoscopic art direction coupled by a mystical soundtrack meant to leave a lasting impression on the player. This is a beautiful game. Phenomenally beautiful. Lots of colors, lots of like very good atmospheric, like, uh, you know, tension and, and drive between this game. Uh, you take control of Oji, I think is how you say her name. Uh, the female protagonist who has crash landed her ship into what is referred to as the sarcophagus, as you mentioned, a giant space drifting cosmic uterus containing an ancient demonic being held captive by the Baryan Sham. There's so many words in this game, too, that are like I, I'm terrible at pronouncing. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad I had Aki's name to kind of pr- uh, practice on, too. Uh, Shamasals, the Berrien Shamasals, uh, they're basically like priests, you know, like locked in these little tombs. Uh, this being is known as Ultros, and it's your duty to handle this creature by whatever means necessary. Uh, through a different approach to the, uh, the, the roguelike restart, so the game is a... The game is a Metroidvania, but it does have some roguelite elements to it. Uh, each encounter with Ultros will, Ultros will result in a new beginning. Areas that were discovered and tampered with on the previous run will be affected by whatever influence you may have had on it previously. Uh, plants and animals change and work together, uh, bringing new life to an area grown from a simple seed. Everything in the game is alive. Everything in the game interacts uh, as you progress through the game and, and play certain parts to it. Uh, you'll you'll kind of figure out what that means too. At the beginning, it's it's not as much. You're you're kind of like blasted into this like crazy, just colorful world. But it slowly makes sense as you go through it. Uh, the world of Ultros is teeming with life. Plants and animals inhabit the tunnels below, existing long before you arrived, and will continue to exist long after you leave. Uh, what may seem like an enemy at the first encounter, going through your first run, could in fact be a key ingredient to the life structure within the biome. Violence isn't always the answer in Ultros, and it's not. There's multiple pathways you can take in this game. Uh, Sometimes violence is the answer as creature can be cut down and landscapes can be changed or manipulated. Uh, While the hack and slash approach is fine in most games like this, uh, hacking up alien life forms in this game will result in botched creature parts uh, using a more strategic approach. Uh, planned movesets and new moves learned. Um, a little bit, a little bit of finesse will result in higher quality creature parts gained. Uh, these parts, when consumed, uh, will provide health and nutrition points in one of four categories, uh, which can then be used to unlock new abilities. Uh, none of the abilities unlocked are essential to progression, but can definitely be helpful in improving the gameplay. Uh, skill tree is provided and can be accessed in these save state pods that are kind of randomly placed throughout the map, uh, usually next to new biomes, and include abilities such as uh, a higher jump, uh, more attack power, uh, faster food consumption rate, 
which is helpful during like larger battles and things. Uh, or even the ability for creatures in the game to regard you as non-threatening. Uh, skill tree abilities unlocked previously may be forgotten, though. So there is that roguelite element where it restarts every single time. Uh, the sequence, uh, uh, unless there's there's uh, there's an item that you can get, I believe it's called a cortex chip. Uh, they can be high, hidden throughout the map, uh, found throughout the map, I should say. And uh, those kind of lock those those uh, abilities that you unlock in place too. So the next run, you're still able to use that that double jump or whatever it may be. Uh, skills that are essential are stored in what is known as the extractor, uh, which is a small device that once discovered in a run will provide techniques previously learned. The double jump, the digging tool, um, digging tool which can be used to dig up plants, uh, uh, find items deep within the earth, um, or it's not the earth, I guess, it's in inside the, uh, the sarcophagus, I should say, deep in the ground, and uh, spinning saw blade, those are just a few of the tools you gain throughout the game, um, those help you access new areas of the map, and like I said, uh, are lost upon a restart, but gained once you find the extractor again. Uh, there are lots of deep secrets and alternate paths within the game. Uh, when violence isn't the answer, try a different approach. Uh, like I said earlier, there are skill tree abilities that will allow you to be non-threatening towards creatures, which is kind of interesting. Uh, there is a passive approach to this game, too, which is kind of fun to to discover and play through. Um, overall, the gameplay could possibly be kind of a reference to how beautiful life is or or even like a narrative to how we approach things you know in general um you'll encounter other characters uh on the sarcophagus also uh a character known as uh gardener he's a mushy botanist from the lands of trellis uh, a tender soul with a vast knowledge of alien plant life gardener helps the player to better understand the creatures and plant life that surrounds them uh, suggestions of what to plant in certain areas for best results. Uh, plants come in the form of seeds and provide fruit and nutrition points. Uh, as mentioned earlier, killing killing enemies within the game provide nutrition points, but so do plants. So you necessarily you don't necessarily have to like kill anything in this game. Uh, they have a different effect on the landscape. Uh, some plants open new pathways towards new areas or secrets. Uh, usually influenced by each run. So every run is is uh, a set amount of time or just an uh, indetermined amount of time before you wake up again. Uh, and those plants that you planted previously will grow bigger or have more, you know, more uh, uh, life to them, accessing new areas or, or breaking open doors that were previously blocked. Um, another character encountered is uh, Vasa, who is uh, kind of the opposite of Gardner. Um, she's a huntress from the realm of Urild. Uh, she teaches you how to use the close combat system in the game to create a balance towards the, uh, the creatures that you come in contact with. Um, she is a balance to the life on the planet, and uh, the game is, is very closely related to life and death and the choices you make. Um, I found myself going through this the way I would any Metroidvania, you know, kind of just running through hack and slash, exploring, trying to figure things out, um, fighting anything that came in my way. But uh, each run, I 
kind of started slowing down a little bit, trying to take everything in, take in the art style, take in what the creatures are actually doing, take in what the plant life is actually doing, uh, the connection everything has, you know, throughout the game, um, and started really kind of finding my influence, like, among all those things, too. Uh, I got into a few situations, too, in the game where uh, I actually felt, like, really bad about my decisions, too. And there were there were things that came up that I didn't know about and found out later that I wish I could have gone back in the run and changed. But I... I have to live with that, so <laughs> that's kind of on me, you know. But there are <laughs> there are chances for multiple runs through the game, you know. I I mean it's it's very interesting how they kind of they kind of uh, did the symbiosis Sym- symbiosis. How do you say that word? Something Symbiotic like that. relationship. <laughs> yeah, be, between <laughs> all the plant right. life, the animal life. You know, I'm not good with words, so uh, I. <laughs> Just the overall combination of everything together and where you play a part in everything, too. I thought it was phenomenal. They, they did a great job on this game. Oh, well, the game clocks in at twenty four ninety nine. Give us your final thoughts on Ultros. I would say if you get the opportunity to buy it, buy it. Because it was just the, just the aesthetic alone. I mean, between the, the visuals and the soundtrack... That alone was enough. I've bought albums that were more expensive than this game. So I would say get it. It's a journey. It's fun. Uh, They did a really good job with it. There are multiple endings to this game, too. So you can play it multiple times and discover new things. So, yeah, I would say I would say get it. Very cool. All right. Well, Andy, that is it for you. We will let you get going. Thank you, as always, for coming on and chilling with us. Heck, yeah. dude. Thank you guys for for letting me on and hanging out. Thanks, Andy. Annie. No, I'm saying your name like that. I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> I think it's awesome. Andy. Thanks, everybody. Good to see you all. Good night, Aki, Andy. I'll, I'll trying to pronounce your name. Later. All right, later, guys. Have, have, have a good have one, Andy. <laughs> have a good night, Andy. <laughs> I like how Pernell's the mature, kind one here. Yeah. Andy. The rest of Andy. us are just crazy. Uh, next game, The Mobius Machine, developed and published by Madruga Works, releasing March 1st on Series X and S, PS5, and PC for $24.99. Discover a vast alien world, fight the ferocious local fauna and killer machines, reveal its secrets, and find a way to escape. The Mobius Machine is a side-scrolling action platformer with dynamic combat and heavy emphasis on exploration. Pertel, uh, yeah, Pertel. Pernell and Brooke... I can't talk tonight. I'm so sorry. Pernell and Brooke, both of you covered this one. Pernell, how about you start? What is the Mobius machine? Mobius machine is essentially you running around a weird alien planet, trying to explore in order to find your way off of it. You crash land on it. Um, The main things about it worth describing, in my opinion, is that I feel like it does a good job. Well, I guess I should mention the idea that you're running around like a Metroidvania or no, I'm not going to say that. It's an actual Metroid-like game. There's no freaking vania. Um, so you mean you're no running Dracula? around no Dracula, there's no freaking numbered stat weapons, and you're not leveling up your character and all that jazz. Um you're running around this alien planet trying to explore it and find your way off and also figure out where the, the, the stress signal here to figure where it came from. And the idea here is that you have generally the mechanic that the, before you start finding upgrades and stuff, your idea is generally is that you have a regular jump mechanic. You have the ability to equip two weapons, one to your right trigger and one to your left trigger, which honestly, I think is, I love that idea. 
I'm surprised more games don't let you do that with their stuff. Um, and you are able to collect energy icons, whether found in like objects or from defeating enemies, which you can use to do a variety of things, most notably to heal yourself or because there's no like really healing items per se. So heal yourself and also to give your weaponry a little bit of an extra oomph. So you'll be choosing between whether you want more firepower or the ability to heal yourself with the ability to, you know, with that charging mechanic. Um, as you're exploring the world also, in pretty much every aspect of this planet, there's like a bit of a gummy substance that just kind of crops up. And there are multiple varieties of it. The game gives you a bit of an idea of how to go about, you know, identifying each of them and then what they do or how they behave. And at that point, you just kind of have to work on it on your own as you come across it. But like this gummy substance can be used as a platform sometimes. Um, it can be fired through sometimes. It can explode on impact sometimes. Um, it can be spiky and, you know, lethal to the touch sometimes. Um, it just depends on like where you find it and what its you know, properties are. And that's how you identify how to interact with it. And you'll be utilizing this stuff in different ways as you explore the planet to get around. Like, for example, one particular type, it might be set up so that if you jump on it, it'll collapse immediately upon your feet, which means you need to find an upgrade that will allow you to run across it without it collapsing on you. Or rather, it will collapse on you, but you'll be too far gone to care. Um, as you explore the planet, you'll come across different map icons or icons, more computers that will download map sections for you so you can explore with a better understanding of where you're going. Um, and for the record, the sections in this game are actually surprisingly huge. So it's not yeah. like very tiny zones at all. You're doing a lot of running around um, and a lot of exploring. Um, you'll also come across blueprints or fragments of blueprints, which you can use at workshop stations along with currency to unlock new weaponry and gear for yourself. Um, and of course, those things, if you find subsequent rep um, repeated blueprints, you can upgrade those things as well. Um, mechanically firing as far as firing your gun goes. Another thing that I wish more games of this nature would do is this game gives you dual stick mechanics. So left stick is for the maneuverability of your character. Right stick is actually aiming your gun. So you can have some legitimate running gun antics going on with this game in the right firefight situations because you can move independently from your gun. Um, if you need, it took me a little bit to realize it, but if, for example, I'm used to playing games like Contra where they made you use the trigger button, you know, kind of hold your gun position. But in this game, it's done in a way where once you're firing the gun, the position's held. So aim, fire, hold down the fire button, and now you can run around while holding that position of gunplay. Uh, um, I've been explaining general stuff about the game for now. I will stop rambling and let Brooke talk a little bit. Or rather, I'm not letting her. Brooke, Brooke can talk whatever the hell she wants, because she's that kind of woman. Do what you hey, want, girl. Thank you. Thank you, Pernell. I'm loving the girl power, but I'm also appreciating the permission, too. Okay. <laughs> First thing I want to say here, Pernell's done a great job talking about the nitty-gritty of this game. Uh, in a few minutes here, I'm going to be reviewing a separate game that is classified as a horror game. Uh, while Mobius Machine, I wouldn't say, is selling itself as a horror game at all, uh, I was a lot more scared and spooked out by Mobius Machine than the horror game itself. This is not a thing on the <laughs> horror game, but I found this to be very, like, environmentally spooky and off-putting. Uh, uh, Perny's given us our big breakaway here. Uh, I'll just point out a couple notes I have here. Uh, I struggled with the tutorial like I do with all games, but I also appreciated how it kind of leveled off and the, the further into the world you go, the more you might learn. However, because of my brain and learning style, this caused me to 
I'm not as familiar with Metroidvania stuff, so I didn't understand backtracking is such a big part of the game. Like you might need to get a piece of equipment and then go back a few levels and, and find something that you hadn't seen before. Um, I thought that was really cool. And I think it gives the game a lot of like extra game hours for people like me, let's just say. Um, I didn't love that the dialogue does not stop in a cinematic if you are not done reading it yet. I'm assuming Purnell did not notice this. I'm a little bit of a slow reader. Uh, so this causes the cinematic to end before you're ready if you weren't done reading it yet. And you can't replay it or, or run it back. So there's just one cinematic in the game I, I haven't seen where you're talking to the little robot. I don't really know what conversation happened there. Uh, but, you know, I do wish that was a little different. But other than that, I, I had a great time with this game. I really love the art style of the game. I'm going to talk about vibes here for a minute before we hand her back to Purnell for rating. Uh, at first, I wasn't sure that I would love the art style of this game. Looking at screenshots looks a little cartoony. But as soon as I started walking around in this game's like drippy alien biomes and like feeling the heaviness of my own jumping and shooting, I was like, oh, this game is very thoughtfully physically designed yourself and objects feel like they have a weight movement and being shot really like for me carries a lot of of oomph i like how there's this strange continuity between the drippy like what did you call them pernell i don't know what to call them but they're the the levels that you can land on let's call them let's call them globules yeah, that's a really great name for them because they are like really like they have animation. Everything in this game has really cool animation where like they look like they're really dripping and you can jump around on top of them. They've all got different properties, too. I was probably five or six hours in this game before I noticed that a lot of the aliens of the level kind of had this weird continuity with whatever the plant life of the level is too. Like if we have little octopus guys rolling around in the sky, uh, I'll notice maybe my fourth or fifth visit to that level that some of the trees kind of look like those creatures too. It's hard to explain, but I just, I feel like they really knocked it out of the park. Uh, enjoyed the sound design. While it wasn't anything to write home about, nothing breaking any molds, uh, it was perfect for the environment. I, you know, we, we hear sound designs like this a lot and like space and exploration or like scrapping games, but I felt this really hit the mark. Um, yeah, another thing that made me feel like this game feels realer, quote unquote, to me, which is weird because it's directly a sci-fi thing that would never happen in real life. When you're walking around in your spacesuit, and an alien shoots you, you get damaged. Uh, or are we the aliens? Uh, when an alien damages us, it, it, it feels like it hurts. Like it just it looks like it hurts and it feels like it hurts even though we're not experiencing it because of the sound effects and the visuals. It's really well done. Everything gets kind of hazy. Uh, and there's just a lot of really cool sensory touches that make this game feel how I feel like the creators intended this game to feel vibes-wise. I found it, this whole game to be scary off-putting i found it to be lonely because we're basically going around scavenging solo in these biomes and there's no other humanoids or robots to talk to anywhere so yeah for me the environmental touches are what really took this game from being for me a generic side scroller metroidvania sort of experience to making it feel like a special experience that just happens to be using those tools to get it done uh in a sci-fi scrapping environment you want scrap or no yeah, any other comments um, one thing I should mention, just I don't know why I didn't say it before, but just when Brooke made the mention of the you know, Metroid exploration mechanics, um, again, I'll mention this every time I review a Metroid or Metroidvania game, um, these guys gave you the option to put pins down on points of interest. More people should be doing that, too. Wait, what? Is yeah, that what the little um, blue triangles on the map are? Yep, you can oh place those God. pins. If, you've, if there's an icon <laughs> object, you're like, hey, there's a thing there, but wow. I can't reach it. 
the game won't tell you on its own, but if you mark it, you'll know to come back. You get oh up to God. 25 of them, and you can be like, well, I want to remove one and put one back later. That's it's, really cool. It's so it's one of those where I feel like every one of these games should be doing this. It's yes. just it's just such a simple thing, and it makes the experience so much better. Okay, now tell us how to get through Sector 7. No, just kidding. Original Metroid games, didn't they have like a circle on the map if there was an item there and a dot if you already got it or something like that? Uh, you think about it's, shooty shots. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry that it's been a while since I've played the original Metroid, but from what I remember, Maybe the Super it was Metroid. Less, oh, Super Metroid. Hmm. I know you couldn't put stuff down yourself, but I want to say they let you know when you found certain things. Um, but it didn't give you all the details. Let's say, for example, there was like a missile upgrade that you didn't pick up in a place. The game didn't tell you, by the way, there's a missile upgrade that you didn't get. Go back no, and get it. No, but there it. was an icon that something was there. Hmm. That may have been a while. So you may be right about that, but I'm not remembering off the top of my head. If like that was not, how it didn't did tell it. you missiles were there, but it's just like, hey, something's here. You didn't get it. There's an and I know it's at least in get. Super Metroid. I, I can't recall if it's in the original or not. Chris? I know it's not in the original. No. Oh, man. <laughs> Chris is like the, the resident retro man. Like, you have to know this. What? what, what, what is that? <laughs> exactly. Uh, Mobius Machines, 25 bucks. What do you guys think of it? Easy recommend. Yeah, I was going to say. Easy buy it. I really like this. Very good. All right. Next up, Genso Chronicles, developed by Hitpoint, published by Chemco, released February 16th on Xbox One, Series X and S, Switch, PS4, PS5, and PC for $14.99. Forge bonds and fight with guardian beasts in this fastest RPG, right, Chris? <laughs> yes. Fastest. <laughs> There, there's no typo here. We're making fun today. of someone else's typo. So I just yeah. want to be clear. There is no typo in our copy. It is good. This is no, just no, no. us being weird. We're making fun. <laughs> We're perfect. We're making fun of entities much larger than ourselves who should be held to higher standards than we. Well said. We spell your game right, Kemco. Uh, Chris, what is Genso Chronicles? <laughs> well, it's funny you should say, um, because nobody else... Uh, gets this name right okay so we got a little bit of story time but uh basically genso chronicles is a rpg from chemco but from hit point huh i love hit point um i've always been very uh positive on their games in fact i think i've almost played all of them now but well almost all their rpgs so hit point is a is a strange developer they um they split their time somewhat neatly between uh things like you know genso chronicles um you know raging bites we talked about gale of windoria armed Demeth, crystal ortha monster viator legend of the tetrarchs i mean you name it i've played it um you know just these nice kind of uh you know 20 to 30 hour uh 32-bit ish rpgs um that that chemco publishes they split their time between that and like ultra cutesy like app type games uh you may recognize their 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 grand opus as uh, neko atsume um that is that's them um they also have what was it that's something wild. like yeah it's like collection of face fruit or something like that they they have some weird ones um and then sometimes they throw in <laughs> yeah 
And then sometimes they throw in something like, uh, you know, Henry Impossible Action Game, which is just an action game, which they don't usually do. So, you know, again, they're a little interesting. But yeah, like most people will know them not by name because they know Neko Atsume. That game was huge for a while um, back in the, you know, middle of the last decade. Um Anyways, so Genso Chronicles is interesting because it's, as far as I know, the first known hit point piece of software. Um, I can't find anything older than Genso Chronicles' original release, which was on the PSP. It was called Fantasy Chronicle. Um, so uh. it was like, yeah, yeah, it was. So it, it went through a little bit of a name change. Um, now, the thing about it is that if you look up Fantasy Chronicle on the PSP, you'll see that um, people weren't too happy about it. it. had a really rough translation, apparently had some performance issues, whatever. People didn't like... People didn't understand, I think, back in the pre-Switch era, that, like, you could have a good time with, like, an RPG that wasn't, like, a Final Fantasy or a, or a Dragon Quest or some, you know, some AAA thing. It's like, I think a lot more folks are a lot more... Um, forgiving of the fact that there are mobile rpgs that are actually good and you don't have to worry about whether they're good or bad uh and you know like like kind of how i am <laughs> like that's <laughs> becoming a little bit more of a thing now and uh thank goodness because this game's actually really good they have fixed up the translation uh it runs at a really smooth actually almost too fast uh frame rate it's like you actually really motor through this game um which again I enjoy. It does have a couple of like artifacty type things. Um, for instance, dialogue is like you know one or two sentences at a time on one corner of the screen, and but they'll tell you a whole story, but one sentence at a time. So you're just constantly pushing that A button, and your only real recourse is to just set the uh, text to instant instead of scrolling, and then that way it saves you on the A button pushes, but you're going to miss a lot of stuff because you're going to uh, like a dialogue will pop up and you'll skip it because you, you know, accidentally hit a or something. Um, but all this to say, yeah, this is their earliest RPG and you can see like the, um, the kind of, uh, the bones of like what they, you know, have done in, like I said, raging bites, Gale, Windoria, armed Emeth, etc. Uh, you can see them here, uh, for one, the characters constantly bouncing in place. Uh, which is one of my favorites. It's absolutely how you know that a Chemco game is a hit point game and not a uh, not an X-Create game. Because uh, instead of their hair blowing in the breeze, which is X-Create, they bounce in place, which is hit point. So there you go. Unless you uh, unless you looked at the title screen and saw like the developer there, it's not like they make it a secret. <laughs> uh, the other thing is that uh, our favorite... It's like... The, the equivalent in a hit point RPG to a Dragon Quest slime is a hit point poncho. Um, a poncho is like a little cartoony, almost looks like a little canary bird. Um, it's just this very innocuous thing. And you, you <laughs> they end up like popping up in like different uh, levels of difficulty all throughout the game. And they never look like anything that's like real. Um, anything else might look like kind of cool, um, like a real monster or something like that. But a poncho is just like a little smiley face coming at you. Um, I love them. And they're in, I can confirm now that they're in every hit point game uh, that I've played going all the way back to this one um, in 2012, at least. Uh, so, yeah, the storyline follows uh, a character called Light as he um, he basically 
goes through the training to at the uh, local night place to become a local knight um, with his friend who is also kind of uh, kind of dating his sister who is adopted. So this might be a sister girlfriend situation. Who knows? Um, we we see a lot of that in RPGs. Um, hey, we're both adopted in the same age. That's <laughs> not going to come back in a weird way. Um, so, anyways. Yeah, so he he leaves town to uh, to go become a knight, and then comes back, and well, whoops, uh, RPG tropes happen, and so his uh, sister girlfriend, um, possibly actual sister, is missing. Um, so he has to go, uh, and his grandma, by the way. So he has to go and try to rescue his grandma and his sister, and uh, along the way meets like a, a you know a uh, very annoying little girl who. Uh, and also, like, somebody who <laughs> is a high-powered sorceress who looks exactly like his sister-girlfriend, but uh, isn't her because she has a different name, okay? But she also doesn't have her memories, so that's not going to come back in any sort of way. <laughs> um, but this the review is so good, by the way. This is a total... This is so <laughs> Thank good. you. Um, Brooke and I being both being, like, kind of genre experts, we, we know how to speak in tropes. <laughs> um... So anyways, in the tropes of our chosen expertise, I mean, <laughs> anyways, uh, yeah, so here's the other thing about this, and this is something that's come up in games like uh, Tetrarchs and, and Viator, uh, Monster Viator, is that along the way, you collect mystical beasts who uh, become kind of like a, kind of like an attachment to your character. Uh, you more or less equip them, and what they do is they, uh, depending on... Uh, how they function, they may block some attacks that come to your character, uh, they may attack kind of on their own, uh, whenever your character attacks, they might, uh, boost some stats, they might heal you, uh, they do all kinds of things, and the cool thing is, even though all your characters kind of get to start with a specific one that's tied into the story, you can just, uh, swap them out between each other, and that's actually kind of cool. Um, I like that system, it's a little complicated, but actually this game is a little complicated versus like other things that they do. Um, for instance, there's another thing where you get you uh, you basically make equipment in this game by gathering uh, resources, and uh, you can also hire a hamster to go and gather resources for you, uh, which is I think something that needs to be in all video games. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> and um, but yeah, you like get all your ores together, and then like you take them to the guild and fulfill a quest that is just ever present where like if you have 10 of this one thing, you get to change it for this one thing. And then that's somehow a quest. And so you just keep completing that quest to like build up your, your, you know, stock of like, you know, iron ores or whatever, take those back to the, uh, to the place where you talk to the hamster and then, uh, talk to the weapon upgrade guy to like upgrade your weapon using those same materials. So it just ends up being this kind of, uh, you know, grocery list of like, you know, of running errands in order to uh, get a better sword instead of just buying a new sword. Um, although there is money and money is exchanged in improving these swords, the actual way to get different swords is to improve your sword to a certain point where you can branch off into a, another different kind of weapon. Um, so if you have the right materials, you can like kind of do this like follow along this uh this tree of like turning your iron sword into i don't know heavenly god slayer weapon extraordinaire kind of thing for you know the late game or whatever um 
there's no lottery system. There's uh, there are, however, extra like points, uh, you know, like specific currency that you can get in the game in exchange for stuff. Um, you can either use it to buy like permanent upgrades to the game, such as doubling your experience or gold, or um, you know, making monsters less likely to attack you, or you can dump them into the hamster and have him go find better items for you. Invest in your hamsters today, folks. Um, so yeah, it's like it's really it's an interesting take on something that you know is essentially the the beginning of like the whole hit point thing, which is. To say they make like these RPGs that if you look at them, you're like, oh, okay, it's just trying to look like Chrono Trigger. I bet it sucks. And then you're just like, you start to play it and you realize the story is like 10 shades of complicated. Um, everything <laughs> has a system with like branching paths. And you don't even walk between towns. Like you just select them on a map and stuff. Like you want to go to the inn, you just select the inn from the menu. You don't actually go there. Um, the art is also interesting. All, this is kind of like you can see that this is where they like kind of started and then you know improved it to get to the other games. Uh, the character portraits are very clearly like pencil drawn and then scanned in. Um, and like when you're in a town, it's just an oil painting. It's like not even like there's no defined lines or anything. It's just like bluges of color and stuff that like look like buildings. Uh, it's actually kind of impressionist in a way, and I actually really like that. Um, music's also really good, although the loops tend to be too short. Uh, that is my criticism for each and every uh, hit point game I come across. But all in all, this is uh, actually really... It ended up being cooler than I thought it would, because, you know, given what uh, how early it was in, like, the, uh, in the list of games from the makers of Neko Atsume. <laughs> and Spoon oh. Pet Collector. Wait, what? Spoon <laughs> pet collector. Spoon pet collector. Yeah, it's That'll kind of be a for another episode. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about another hit point game, and then I'll tell you about Spoon uh, Pet Collector. Works for me. Uh, Genso Chronicles is fifteen bucks. What do you think? This one actually is a buy it from me. I say it is a worthy um, remake because I couldn't detect uh, any kind of like real oldness to the game. It just seems different. Uh, it's not until you actually look it up and realize that it had like this whole ass other name and uh, an identity before that like that anything's amiss. Uh, it's a great adventure. And like I said, I, I really like what they go for in this. It takes a little while to get started because you kind of have to figure out like a couple of different systems and such. But ultimately, yeah, it's it's an early one, but uh, but I like it a lot and I'll be definitely trying to play all the way through this one. Oh, sounds good. Uh, Got to move on. Next game is called What the Golf, developed and published by Triband Productions, released March 14th on PS5 for $19.99. So it'll be out in a few weeks. Packed with humor, puns, and goofy parodies, this game will make you question everything you thought you knew about golf. It's a silly physics-based golf parody where each level is a new surprising type of golf. Some brilliant or hilarious, others so absurd you'll ask yourself, what the golf? Pernell, what the golf? Hello? Yeah. There you are. I it was weird. <laughs> Hi, how you be? Good. Want to play how some what the golf sometime? I'm doing all good. We got to play some <laughs> what the golf sometime. What is what the golf? Ridiculous as shit. And I say that in the most endearing way possible. I did not expect this game to hit like it did. <laughs> but, uh, oh, my God. So the game starts out throwing you right into the game. You have a golf ball. There is a hole. 
you just kind of intuitively intuitively realize I need to hold the trigger, um, hold the you know directional stick, and then A to send the ball flying to the hole. And the game's like, yay, hole in one. Then it has another level. Do it again. Another level, you do it again. And then it starts to get a little weirder. It has a guy holding the golf club now. And it's like, hit the ball to the hole. You're like, okay. So you swing, you go, and the man gets launched into the hole. And it's like, there you go. <laughs> you win. <laughs> Enjoy. And then after this whole thing happens, you get your title screen, and then you get an overworld where you're a ball going into the golf factory <laughs> or the golf laboratory. I'm sorry. And there's a computer talking to you, asking you about crap, saying you don't have permission to be here, and you are a golf ball blowing a golf laboratory. <laughs> it's already freaking strange. And it just keeps getting stranger because... At this point, you are exploring this place, going from room to room as best you can. And as you come across different rooms, you'll also come across different holes. Each hole encompasses a different stage. And once you roll into that hole, you are tasked with a goal. Usually some form or variation of hitting a ball into a thing. Once you've completed the first one, you get kicked out. And that counts as completing the hole for, you know, requests of the main map. Like, to get through a gate or something. But... If you re-enter it, there are two other goals you can attempt, and they generally come in the form of brand new things, and they become absurd. Like, I don't want to spoil a bunch, but I'll tell you my two favorite ones, or maybe three. Um, one of them was pretty much a recreation of like a chunk of Super Mario Brothers, but you're controlling the golf ball, and you have to get to the end of the stage and get the flags. It's ridiculous, and at the end of the level, it's a Donkey Kong level. When you have to get up to a flag on some rafters. Um, there's another one where there's a man sitting on a couch and you have to launch the couch. And then and one from launching the couch, the man has to get propelled from the couch. And he's the projectile that has to hit the hole. Not the couch, because that's already strange enough. Um, not the couch, the man sitting on the couch. Uh, then, of course, there's another one where the ball is actually flubber. <laughs> and the ball is bouncing around. <laughs> And it can bounce off the walls. It's like you gotta hit it in like eight shots. Um, but you can sometimes redirect the ball and stuff like that. It's this game is ridiculous. It's and I love it because the game's not even hard. Like no, this, I think the this actually level- started off as an Apple arcade game back in uh, uh twenty maybe twenty nineteen. Uh, and then a Switch version came, and then a Steam version came. And now we got a PlayStation version, which hilariously enough came after what the bat on PSVR 2 from the same people. Well, what I'll say to that is I'm depressed. Like, this is one of those cases where I probably saw this game on app stores and looked at it and said, uh, I'm not going to buy this. I would like to hopefully get anyone else who is hearing this to not make the mistake I did. Or rather, if you made the mistake to remedy it now, this game is worth your time. Like, it's, again, it's not even a hard game. It's just a game you play to go, what the hell do they want me to do next? What's the next hole going to be? What strange goal do they have in mind to progress further in this game? And they're all fun to discover and figure out. And just when you think they're done, they come up with something stupid in the best way possible. I can't recommend this game enough. And it's actually of all the big budget games on this episode in regards to like, you know, the pennies and stuff. This is my favorite one from the episode. <laughs> oh, awesome. What the golf is great. It is. I, I loved it on Apple arcade. 
It was like one of the only reasons I was an Apple Arcade subscriber for the longest time. Uh, I've always wanted to pick it up on the Switch, but I I don't know. Maybe I'll pick it up on Steam. It just makes... Unless, hey, devs, if you're listening, one more console, you could throw this fucker on. Come on, let's get what the golf on Xbox. Let's do it, baby. (laughs) What the X? What the X? That's right. Uh, What the golf? It's 20 bucks. What do you think? Easy buy it. Easy, easy, easy buy it recommendation. Don't sleep on this mess unless you just plain hate laughing. In which case, I can't help you, but a therapist might. (laughs) (laughs) Like that we can hear Purnell like literally smiling. We can hear him smiling when he's giving that review. It was awesome. (laughs) Oh, what what the bat was the same way. It was just so ridiculously over the top fun. They, their brand of humor is pretty, pretty enjoyable. And they have a new car or a new game called What the Car coming out later on this year. Nice. Oh, mercy. That should be interesting. So hopefully we could uh, check that out when it's ready to go. But uh, until then, we got one. What, Pernell? I know I already want it. Yeah. Well, you can wish list it on Steam. Do it today, kids. Uh, we got one <laughs> final game to talk about that is called Looking Up, I See Only a Ceiling, developed and published by Flynn's Arcade, released February 29th on the Switch for two ninety nine. a short psychological adventure about a stressed girl who wants to explore her attic. Brooke, what's going on in Looking Up, I See Only a Ceiling? I, you know, I didn't know what to expect when I started playing Looking Up, except I knew it costs two ninety nine, and it's a very pretty pixel art horror game. You son of a bitch, I'm in. So starting the game up okay, just my style yeah joe actually found this and i was like this looks amazing but starting the game up uh i found myself to be a young woman in college studying what i think is art we're in a pixel art world first person view and the game controls operate a bit like a point and click mystery adventure game only emphasis on the click part not so much the point if that makes sense on each screen area room we are on in this game to explore whatever we're doing at any given time in each room we have about five to seven options we can select little icons on the screen we can tap. So there's not really anything to find by dragging a cursor around, just process of elimination really, or figuring out how to do things in a certain order to advance the game. Like we start in our room, if we try to select our closet in our bedroom, we go, hey, I don't really want to try and close right now, I want breakfast. So then the game turns into, how do I get to my kitchen and my apartment? Uh, Limited options aside, this is still a bit of a challenge, partly because the game has a really charming, little bit abstract and minimalist art style. And we have to navigate through a corridor and a few rooms to get there. Once we're in the kitchen, we eventually figure out how to make coffee, breakfast, it's time to leave the kitchen. Some scary stuff has started happening, but when we go to the corridor to return to our room, we notice that it's not the same corridor. The hall is dark, and the only item in the room are some ripped-up calendar pages on the ground with all kinds of red ink all over them, marked furiously. Uh, Moving through the new scary corridor, we get to another room we haven't seen before, walls all covered in red ripped-up calendar pages like the first ones we saw. We go through a few more rooms like this before we come across one room that is occupied. In this room is a man with a big old creepy smile on his face. And for a cartoon character, he's looking pretty handsome, if I may. We say to ourselves, we don't know this man, uh, but he also seems familiar. And while I'd love to talk more about the very cool, eerie story of this game, this is a $2.99 game that's mostly an environmental, psychological horror. It's definitely narrative-driven, and like the game description in the Switch eShop says, it's not super long at all. So that's all I'm comfortable sharing about the plot, which is obviously the main part of the game. 
So here's what I liked about the game other than the plot that I feel I can talk about. I love that while the game is short, we do get multiple endings we can unlock with multiple playthroughs. I got two endings based on the flowchart you can check out at the end of the game. I thought these were the only two endings until I was doing a little research on the game today, pre-review. Because uh, that's what that screen wants me to think. They tricked me, man. There's a third secret ending, and I have no idea how to get that one yet. Uh, so that's cool as hell. I love that, especially in a simple game like this. Uh, Vibes-wise, while this is an environmental horror game, we're not really dealing with jump scares here. That's always the first thing my partner wants to know about a horror game, because if there are jump scares, he will not play the game. So this game <laughs> is very friendly. Brooks partner friendly. This is a scary game, but it's a slow burn and it's more about scary ideas that I feel are open to interpretation, which I personally really like. And I find that when small little indie horror games go for this type of vibe, I find a lot of them to be a little phoned in or they just didn't really put out a, a great piece of art here. Maybe it doesn't feel like a complete idea. Uh, I don't feel that way about this game. I think they had a really solid idea here and executed it. I'm guessing exactly how they wanted to. Uh, I like the sound design. I love, love, love the art of this game. And it has a few different kind of pixel art styles going on, depending on where you are and what you're looking at. Uh, the hand close-ups and mouth and face close-ups are a slightly different art style that I just feel works so cohesively together. And it's really creepy and charming at the same time. I love what a deep little world it is. I love how accessible it is and how easy to play, but also easy to get lost within it because it's not too easy, in my opinion. It does require a little bit of critical thinking. Not too much, luckily for me. After you get an ending in this game, you can go back in the, to, into the game in explore mode where you can learn more about the little world we're in and all, all it's got going on here, what might be actually happening. I did check out the game in explore mode when I, and that's when I noticed the game's colors uh, in the regular playthrough are normally really dim and muted. Uh, but in explore mode, it's super colorful by comparison, even though it's mostly, you know, the same apartment, same items, which makes you go back and look at the main game differently for sure. If you then try to gun for a different ending, they're doing something really cool here. And in explore mode, some things may be different than they were in your actual playthrough where you're trying to get a specific ending. Final notes from me before we wrap this up with our rating for you. I don't find this game to be too cerebral, even though it's definitely a psychological horror at all. Even though this game gives you a lot to think about and imagine if you want, but only if you want. You don't need to, to want to play that way to enjoy this game, to appreciate what it's doing here. If you want to take literally everything this game does on a topical level as just a creepy little universe and life to explore, no questions asked, that's fine. If you want to play through this and never give it another thought, I believe the devs have still delivered on their promise here for a really neat, complete experience that's still open to different interpretations. But if you're more of a player who likes to drag out the experience with an autopsy of your gameplay and monologue to your friends about what might be going on in this crazy game with the help of a bunch of cork boards on the wall covered in photos <laughs> and scraps of paper, you connect it with like a series of red strings and pins like a crazy person. Hey, this game has got your back too, buddy. Go nuts. <laughs> because maybe, just maybe, that's what the main character of this game has done as well. All right, that's all I got. Well, it's three bucks. What else? What else can you say, really? Three dollars. It it's awesome, and I love it. This game's a little piece of fine art. Buy it, even if you beat this in an hour. Which, by the way, doesn't make you better than me. I think it's still <laughs> worth two ninety nine. <laughs> I think this is an awesome little game. Thanks for finding this. Make you show. better than me. Fine art. <laughs> Oh, man, I love it. Well, that is it for this episode. We made it through another one together. Hey, we did it. Uh, go team. We did it. 
Amazing uh, job. Aki, thanks for being here, hanging out with us this whole time, even though you had absolutely nothing to do. Uh, do you, do you have yeah, any questions about the Mobius me. machine before we wrap yeah. up? Or do you want to unmute at all, Aki? As we're talking to Aki, who's muted. There you go. Yeah, I keep pushing it while I'm on the wrong thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Too relatable. Yeah, yeah. I kept, I kept trying to... I have the button stuff set up to mute and unmute on Discord, but I keep using it when I'm looking at the Twitch, and that just screws up everything instead of unmuting me. So... GG. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a dumbass. Uh, GG. No, you're a smartass. No, I don't know. Well, I'm that too. I'm both. It's it's a miracle, but I'm both. Uh, No, I I didn't really have any questions other than does anyone want me to buy it for me? (laughs) (laughs) Womp womp. Uh, Hey, that's that's the (laughs) smartass. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Because uh, no, it sounded really good. I'm, I re- I really wanted even more than I did prior, which was uh, cool. wanting it. So you know, that's a problem. Uh, <laughs> Maybe if I just fail listed pretty soon, at least. So expect that. Hopefully, the and if it goes, machine. and when it goes on sale, I'll be able to afford it. Because hey. some of my money problems from last year are finally, well, at least one of them's going to go the fuck away. Ooh, congrats! Hey, once right. I get home, so. Fuck yeah. Which you'll be uh, for next episode, right? Yes, yes. I, I will be home on Thursday. Yeah. So in the magic home. through the magic yeah. of uh show show time magic, I guess. Uh you'll disappear and be in a whole new state in just one episode. Yep. Magic. In about seven hours I I leave to go catch a flight. Oh wow. Well, you have safe travels. This episode is over. We're going to finish the show with some Sanic the Hedgehog uh, because we reviewed reviewed Perny's Big Breakaway, which was made by Christian Whitehead. Sanic. 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 Does anyone have any final words to end the show? Sanic the Hedgehog.